Job chapter 31. And I wanted to warn you, uh, I don't see any kids. Tonight's study is kind of like a right almost rated R, almost rated R, PG-13 and beyond. And so if you've got any little ones that you think might be affected by that, I want to just let you know. Basically, what uh, we're going to see today is it's Job's last chapter uh, as far as his defense goes. And so he's going to rest his case. And, and what he says is, says, if I'm guilty of these things, then I deserve judgment. And we see that in verse 5, 9, 13, 16, 19, 21, 24, 25, 26, 29, 33, and 39. You got all that? <laughs> you wrote it down, right? What I'm trying to say is it's just, it's just saturated throughout this chapter. If I've done these things, then I deserve judgment. And there's a lot we can talk about that. You know, a lot of Christians, in all reality, they are in the middle of a trancaso, man. Um, they're in the middle of being disciplined by the Lord. And so those are things to think about. You know, we have to try our, our best. Uh, none of us here are perfect, but we should try to be holy. You know, if you're living in sin, you know, God's going to be dealing with you. I mean, I want you guys to know tonight that this is a place where you can find forgiveness. Here's a place where you can uh, find restoration. Here's a place where God can do a new work and break the chains. But if you continue to live in sin, then God, because he loves you, he will discipline you, and you will not be rewarded the way that you would like to. And so we'll see that as we go through our study. One last thing I want to read to you from uh, David McKenna and his commentary. Because in one sense, I don't know if you can visualize this, but picture a document that Job is writing up, okay? He's, this is what this chapter is. He's writing all these things. And what he's going to do is he's going to post it in the public square for everyone to see whether or not he's guilty of any of this. And if anybody says, oh yeah, he did wrong me, or yes, he did do that to me, then they're supposed to come forward. That's kind of what we see in this chapter. Let me read to you what David McKenna said. He, he said that one final right belongs to the accused in the due process of ancient law. An oath of clearance could be taken in which the accused pleads not guilty by setting up the if, and the then sequence of negative confession. If I have committed this crime and a negative consequence, then let me cur be cursed by man and God. So this oath applied to each of the crimes of which the defendant was accused and became a legal document to which the defendant affixed the signature and the document was then posted in public as a call for the persons who were wronged to come forward and testify against the accused. If none came forward, the judge accepted the not guilty plea and announced acquittal. And so what you'll find in this chapter is that Job is actually dealing with a lot of the accusations that the friends had, had said, hey, you did this, 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 and this. And he basically said, no, I didn't. I, if I did any of this, then here's my sentence. And he posted it publicly. As a matter of fact, uh, we're going to see, look at verse 35 real, real quick in, in Job 31, 35. Oh, that I had one to hear me, and look what he put, here is my mark. And in the Hebrew language, that meant, here's my signature. I'm signing this whole thing. It's a legal declaration of my innocence. If anybody out there accuses me of doing something wrong, let him come forward now. Or forever hold your peace, so to speak. And so let's read um, heavy stuff tonight, man. It's going to make us really search our heart. Verse 1. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? For what is the allotment of God from above and the inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is it not destruction for the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked with falsehood, or if my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed on honest scales, that God may know my integrity. If my step has turned from the way, or my heart walked after my eyes, or if any spot adheres to my hands, then let me sow, and another eat. Yes, let my harvest be rooted out. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another." And let others bow down over her. 
For that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity deserving of judgment. For that would be a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. And and we're going to see, it kind of has some pretty cool uh, chaptered breaks and you're going to see the way that it's kind of all divided up. If I could probably summarize the section I just read, I would basically say, uh, Job says, if I've lusted for a woman in my heart, then I deserve judgment. But, he says, I haven't, Lord. Notice again there in verse 1 of Job uh, 31, it's a great verse for us men to memorize. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? You know, I, I don't know about you guys, that most men, uh, they struggle with lust. You know, they see a girl, she's maybe dressed a certain way, and guys are so bad it doesn't even have to be like that, you know? And, uh, and, and so what, what can we do to overcome that? Is God okay with that? Absolutely not. It'll ruin your life. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? You know, it's one thing, Warren Wiersbe said, to see someone you might consider to be attractive, but it's wrong to look for the purpose of lust. And so let's just say you guys are at the beach or let's just say you're at the mall or wherever it is you see a girl. It could be even in church. And you might get a temptation to to take a double look. You might get a temptation, whatever, to imagine things about her, man. You got to quote the scripture. I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? And when you, when you swing it, you say it and obey it like Jesus did when he was doing war with the devil, then you might have that victory. But it's an important thing. You know, the, the fallen, just crazy mentality of this world says it's okay to feast on females with your eyes. They say it's okay to check out the menu, right, as long as you don't place an order. That's what they say. I want you to know that that's straight from the pit of hell. You know, Job and Jesus said something completely different. God teaches something different, men. You can't, we can't look at women that way. We can't be addicted to pornography or checking out a figure of a female. Because if we do, we deserve judgment. That's what Job is teaching. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5.28, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So you see the girl, and sometimes it's on the screen and the computer. It could be someone you work with, whatever. And if you're looking at her for that purpose, then you're guilty of adultery. Now, there's a different nature to it, uh, but it's heavy. What we're going to find as we look at this stuff, you know, look at verse 4 in chapter 31. It says, does he not see my ways and count all my steps? I mean, in, even in a, in, a, in a Thursday night study, okay, Thursday night study, you guys are more godly than just a typical Sunday study, more than likely, you know, but I'll bet you there's some guys here struggling with pornography. I'll bet, I'll bet you know, my, my entire bank account that some of you guys here, you know, you're, you're in bondage to that. And what we got to know is that God sees all that, and you got to stop. You got to, you got to repent. We got to get right. God sees every step. We can't hide from Him. He sees everyone. Job said that back in Job twenty-eight twenty-four. For He, God, looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heavens. A lot of people think, well, not Almani. You know, Almani. God, yeah, He loves Almani. He sees Almani. He sees you. You know, God not only sees everyone; He sees the heart of everyone. We read that in 2 Chronicles 16.9. He sees your heart. Some men are having an affair with a woman in their heart. They think about her all the time and it's not their wife. It's crazy. You know, we know God sees that and it's not okay. It's not. You know, God knows the beat of our heart and the steps of our feet Job 34, 21, it says, his eyes are on the ways of man and he sees all his steps. You know, God even meditates uh, on man. According to Proverbs 5, 21, it says, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders, 
he ponders all his past. Like, why, why is Manny going that way? Or, you know, what, what's up with, you know, this? He, he thinks about it. He meditates on man. And God will deal with us accordingly. Jeremiah 32, verse 19. Now, God is gracious to us. Aren't you guys glad that, man, God doesn't give us what we deserve right there and then? He's patient with you, huh? But he starts knocking on your door. He starts convicting you by the Holy Spirit. He starts, you know, pricking your conscience. He maybe even will send a sermon your way, whatever it might be. And he tells you, I I just want to remind you, I really do see your heart. I really do see your life. I hear your words, your steps that you're taking, the decisions that you're making, the things that you're watching on television. You think that no one sees. I see that. Son, I love you. And you got to purify your life. You know, Job says, I'm not guilty of this. If I was, I deserve judgment. That's a lesson for us. You know, none of us can cover it up with any type of uh, clothing. Hebrews 4.13, it says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but we are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. All things are naked uh, before him. And so if you're a luster buster, watch out, you guys, man. You're going to get uh, in trouble because God sees the heart. Look at verse uh, 7 right here. It says, if my step has turned to, or turned from the way or my heart walked after my eyes. Now, that's interesting, you know. I might think about that. My heart walking after my eyes. You know, do you think there are any guys out there whose heart walks after their eyes? Definitely, huh? You know, and that can happen in any way. You know, you go window shopping. Oh, I'm not going to buy. But then you start, you know, feeding your flesh. Next thing you know, you want it really bad. Why? Because you're checking it out. You're looking at that item. The same thing can happen with our heart. You know, it can happen to anyone. It, it even happened to King David. You guys remember this story? Let's turn there real quick to Second Samuel chapter 11. Can a man's heart follow his eyes? Oh, absolutely. It says in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him. So here's a guy that was supposed to be in the battle. You know, and that's just a, a side note. You know, you're like, hey, I'm taking some time off. I've heard people say that even from Christianity. Believe it, I, I'm just taking a day off. It's weird. You know, I'm not going to serve in the ministry, even though you're called. Well, I'm just, that's just my prerogative. David was supposed to be out in the battle, but he took himself out of the battle. He stayed home, and what ended up happening? It says, but David remained at Jerusalem, and then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed. He walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Okay, imagine seeing a naked lady. Imagine that. You see a naked lady and she's just beautiful. You know, to behold. I think of the word behold. I mean, he's like holding her with his eyes. Okay, what do you do? Situation like that. You know, maybe, I know at my house, like a commercial come on, you know, of a girl who's dressed in a bikini or something. You know, right away my wife will get in front of the television. Thank God for my wife. My son and I, we are trained right away, boom, I, you know, heads down. And we're not back on that commercial until it's done, right? But some guys are like, you know, checking it out like that. What do you do when you see a naked woman? Boom, you know, your eyes bounce. Hopefully you're not in that situation, but here's David, and he sees her, and he beholds her. And so it says right here, David sent and inquired about the woman. Shouldn't have done that. And someone said, well, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? I mean, David, she's married. She's not just married to anybody. She's married to Uriah, one of the godliest men you can ever meet. That guy was amazing, godlier than David, that's for sure. And, and not only that, you know, her dad's one of your counselors. I mean, you know, stay away. You, don't, you can't touch this with a 10-foot pole. You've got plenty of wives. But what ends up happening, it says, Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned then to her house. 
I, it all started with the eyes, right? The eyes that what he saw, he beheld. Okay, I would love it if none of the guys here or anyone who ever hears this message didn't fall into lust or adultery. But I'll be honest with you, man, the odds are against you. But if this study can make a difference in one person's life, then it's worth it. Because I'm telling you this, man, that the, the devil will take a woman and reduce a godly man to a crust of bread. I've seen guys go to bed with their best friend's wife. It's crazy the things that we see out there. We have to guard our hearts against these things. And David's heart walked after his eyes, and what ended up happening, because we're, we're, we're visual, you know, he fell. You know, Eve fell with her eyes, didn't she? In Genesis 3, 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, she ate, right? The Bible talks about that in 1 John 2, 16, where we have the lust of the eyes. Uh, I remember one guy, he used to walk into church and he would just look straight down at the carpet and uh, he would watch me for the Bible study and then he would look straight down as he walked out the church. Now, I'm not talking about something weird like that, okay? You know, his wife may be a little extreme. That's not right. You know, we got to be friends. We got to look at the girls as sisters. You know, there's got to be an element of purity in that. But you know in your heart when it goes beyond what it should be. And what we have to know is that not only do you know, but God knows. Watch out for that because it'll ruin you. You know, that's what Job is saying. You know, if my heart has walked after my eyes, I haven't been like that. You know, this is why the wise realize their eyes need to be on the Lord and in his word. And if you're married, sexually especially, your eyes need to be on your spouse and no one else. You know, God sees the heart. You know, like I mentioned earlier, uh, some guys, because I've talked to guys, I've counseled guys that are in bondage to these things. Some guys, that all they can think about is some other woman that's not their wife. It's in their mind. Some guys, when they're making love to their wife, they're thinking of someone else. Real counseling situations. Let me tell you something, man. That is adultery. You need to fix your eyes on your wife. No one else. One of the most common questions that people have is regarding masturbation. Is that okay? Absolutely not. It's sin. It's bondage. And, you know, I talk to young guys about stuff like this, and, you know, they, uh, they're tormented by it because they know it's wrong. What you need to do is you need to come out, you need to get right with God. Hebrews 13, 4, it says, the marriage bed is undefiled. Sex is to be within the confines of marriage because God sees the heart. And that's why, looking at this, we're going to see Job. He's an amazing man. He's ahead of his time. He doesn't even have the Bible yet. But he's such a godly man, and he's a great example for us. You know, notice even in verse 7, if, if my step has turned from the way, Job 31, or my heart walked after my eyes, or if any spot adheres to my hands. You know, and, and so... You know, some guys are, are, are cool. I mean, it's a different thing. You know, you're dirty um, physically. But, you know, don't even settle for a spot in your life. You know, right here he talks about that. If any spot adheres to my hands, don't compromise with your eyes because uh, you'll rot with even the smallest spot that you ought not to be holding on to. You know, that's why James said in James 1.27, it says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And you guys think about that, visiting orphans. When was the last time you visited orphans? Visiting widows, you know, ladies whose husbands have died and their godly gals in the church, taking care of them. Hey, can I help you? Maybe you need some help around the house. Uh, how are you doing financially since your husband's passed away? This is real, this is real Christianity. You know, the, the fatherless, the husbandless. 
But then right there, right with it, he says real Christianity is keeping yourself unspotted. Unspotted from the world. And that, that's, that's, you know, everything. You know, like I was talking earlier, it could be a guy engaged in masturbation. It could be sexual sin. It could be pornography. Anything. What, what, what God is trying to say is that you got to have that type of goal that you would have no compromise with your eyes, no spots on your heart. You guys realize that, you know, because sometimes people think, well, God's gracious and he's forgiving and, you know, it's okay, no thing. I can whatever, do this and that and all the other. And, and God is just saying, no, not if you don't want to experience my discipline, not if you want to live the fullness of the life that I've called you to live. You know, Job in verse 8 here in 31, 8, then let me sow and another eat, let my harvest be rooted out. I mean, he says, if I live in sin, then let me suffer the consequences. And imagine all the time and labor of breaking up the fallow ground. Any of you guys ever do farming? I remember I used to go to my grandma's house in Mexico, and she grew sandia, and she also grew cotton. And man, we were out there, and we'd work, you know, a, a little bit. But you meant breaking up the fallow ground and then planting and watering and caring and cultivating the crop. And then at harvest time, someone else eats it. God says, well, that's the type of stuff that you're going to suffer if you live that life. Leviticus 26, 16, and you shall sow your seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it. The Israelites experienced that where they planted their crop and they didn't get it. Someone else came in and stole it away. Look again at verse 10. You know, then let my wife grind for another and let others bow down over her. And that's, that's exactly what it, what it sounds like. She's working for someone else. She's sleeping with another man now because you chose to live your life in sin. You know, and that's a crazy thing. And, you know, that can happen in, in different ways. I know some husbands, they neglect their wives. They, they neglect their wives. They're out there doing whatever they want to do. And at the end of the day, what ends up happening is she has an affair because he neglected her. Now, I'm not saying that that's okay. I'm not saying that's, that's rational or excusable. But I'm just saying that that's what ends up happening sometimes. It's awful it's an awful consequence when you think about it to one's sin. You know, we need to be so careful uh, with this. Uh, NLT says, then my wife serve another man, let other men sleep with her. It's just an absolutely awful consequence of sin. You know, later God would lay these types of consequences down in the law of the Lord. But, you know, like I said earlier, Job was ahead of his time. You know, Moses said in Deuteronomy 28, 30, you live that life, then you shall betroth the wife, but another man shall lie with her. Now again, I'm not saying there's no forgiveness here. If you've been unfaithful and you're being all beat up and guilty, I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. But some of you here, you're going to be facing these temptations in the future. God is here to offer forgiveness for any sin that we've done, but he's also here to make sure that we stay on track. You know, King David suffered such things. You guys remember what happened to him when he committed his sin with Bathsheba. You know, Nathan came and said, you're the man, you've done this, and you're going to be in big trouble. You did it secretly, but man, the consequences are going to be public. And what ended up happening, when Absalom came to the, to the, to the throne, we read in 2 Samuel 16, 21, And Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. And then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. And so for us, you know, we see the consequences of sin Look at verse 11, for that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity deserving of judgment. Let me tell you guys, if you continue to lust, look at porn, checking out chicks, thinking it's okay. And they also say that one out of six women struggle with pornography. So you ladies, you too, right? 
then, then God says these are the things that are deserving of judgment. You guys know, how many of you know, pornography is an epidemic? How many of you know that? You guys don't know that? <laughs> you should know that, right? And let me listen to this. Every second, $3,000 is spent on pornography. Every second. $3,000. 40 million people in the United States are sexually involved with the internet. 70% of 18 to 24-year-old men visit pornographic sites in a typical month. 66% of men in their 20s and 30s also report being regular users of pornography. One out of every six women, 70% of internet porn traffic occurs between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. when most people are where? At work. Think about that. 70% is going on there at work. 56% of divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. And I don't even want to tell you guys the statistics regarding the children because it will break your hearts when they start getting involved in things like that. We got to watch our eyes, right? You know, because what we see Again, in verse 11, for that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity, deserving of judgment. And really, this is the point of Job's final chapter of defense. If I sin, then I would deserve it. But he's saying I'm not guilty and I don't deserve what I've been dealt. And in the end, we're going to see he was kind of right and kind of wrong. He wasn't definitely the guilty guy as his friends supposed, who had zero wisdom and compassion but um, he had some growing to do still. God's going to do that at the end of the book. But I tell you what, he's a great, great example to us. Verse 12, for that would be fire. That would be consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. And basically what we find in adultery is that it burns all the way to hell and it wipes out everything a man owns. And I know I've met guys, I know guys who have lost everything, family, ministry, job, life. Some have even traded in their relationship with God uh, for a relationship with a gal. Proverbs 7, 26 and 27, it says, For that immoral woman has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Just in case there's any guys here, you know, you're flirting with some girl at work or whatever, wherever it is. Or you're tolerating it. You think it's okay. Man, please, I beg you. Learn from Job. There's a life of purity that God calls us to. Secondly, there's this principle of equality. Look at verse 13. He says, If I have despised the cause of my male or female servant when they complained against me, what then shall I do when God rises up, when he punishes? How shall I answer him? Did not he who made them, me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? And, and so he's going to go over different areas of our life, you know, sexual purity. And now there's this equality. And of course, it applies to all uh, areas of life. But here he specifically deals in the workplace, right? And, and there are those men who are mean to their employees, right? And sometimes you get into a position of power, so to speak, and you mistreat your employees, and that's, a, that's not a good place to be. Uh, the NLT puts it this way, if I have been unfair to my male or female servants when they brought their complaints to me, if that's the case, and I suffer the consequences, what can I say? I'm busted, right? But Job wasn't like that. He was a fair boss, you know? Uh, I have, we have a few workers here at the church, just a, a few of them, right? And sometimes they'll ask for a day off, and I tell them no, and I'm just joking. I, <laughs> I, um, I, I basically tell them yes whenever I can, whenever I can. And every once in a while, they take advantage of me, but you know what? That's between them and the Lord. No, I'm just joking. That doesn't happen. I, I, I just figure, you know what? They need time off. They need a vacation. They want to come in a little late, whatever the case may be. You know what? Give it to them. Treat them well. Love them. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to have to stand before God. And there are days that I want to come in a little late, right? I want a vacation here and there. You know, if you're an employer, treat your employees well. 
You know, sometimes they complain. I'm just joking. Hey, where's lunchtime? You know what? You better go, man, because I don't want any problems. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. You know, we really need to be very careful in that. And now in this day, it was a lot different, right? Because in those days, I mean, there was more of a master-servant relationship. You know, Job was very fair to them. It was very rare in those days when owners considered their workers really to be nothing more than pieces of property. But you got to see them not just as people who can be productive for the business. You have to see them as people, not property, right? With Job, there was justice, there was fairness. No union was necessary. Why? Because he knew how valuable they were. Notice again what it says in verse 15. Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? And what we see is that all men are created equal, right? I mean, the, the servant, the slave, the rich, the poor, we're going to see uh, the Jew, the Gentile, male, female, all of them fashioned by our Father, right? And one of the things that, that I think a lot of us here can probably relate to, how many of you here have uh, more than one child, just out of curiosity? Okay, and you, you can honestly say, and I know, and I believe you, because I feel the same way, I don't have favorites. I don't. I love my children equally. I do. You know, I mean, even though maybe one has given you a little bit harder of a time, or, you know, sometimes that happens, it doesn't matter. You parents, you love them the same, huh? That's the way God is with us. I mean, if that's the way we are with our kids, we got to know it doesn't matter, you know, what color their skin is or what their social status is or, you know, to be honest with you, man, looking at all those things, it, it, there's nothing that would make, you know, God love one more than the other. I mean, he's the father of all, right? Our father has no favorites. Proverbs 22.2, it says, The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. And so since he's maker of them all, that means he's father of them all. And our father has no favorites. I don't know if any of you here were, were raised in a, in a racist home. You know, sometimes that can trickle down from the parents to the children. They think, you know, this way of, uh, of blacks or whites or Asians or, you know, Mexicans or whatever it might be. You know, I've even, I've even met some Mexicans that are, are, are kind of like ashamed, you know, that they're Mexican. I'm like, give me a break. What's up with that? You know, I mean, we got to see the way God sees. God's colorblind. You know, I think we live in a nation that's divided, Right? A nation that doesn't understand that. You know, we all bleed red, right? We all have the same blood. We're all from Adam. And we need to understand that. You guys, you know, these are real, like, hardcore practical issues. You know, I hope you don't look down on, on someone from Iraq or someone, who, you know, from India. or Some people, they have whatever views of, of, of Asians, things like that. It's just terrible. And it's wrong. You know, and sometimes it has its way of working itself out at work. You know, Job says that that's not how I am. You know, when you look at this right here, the Bible clearly teaches equality between employer and employee, rich and poor, male and female. There's a real cool verse in Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, and it hones in on the relationship of husband and wife. Have we not all one father? Malachi 2.10 says, Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by profaning the covenant of our fathers? And, and what Malachi, the context there is about the, the guys in Israel, they would just divorce their wife for anything. You know, she burned your quesadilla. I'm going to sign you a divorce, man. You know what? I'm sorry, baby, but that salsa was just not, you know, up to par, man. You know, and, you know, little things, I mean, spinning, being loud, whatever. I mean, they were just, because in that culture, the men, and you guys know how it is, the men thought they were better than the women. And that, that's not the way God sees it. You know, the culture saw it that way but not the creator. Malachi 2.10, it deals with that specifically. It says that you guys are equal. 
man and women. Now, of course, we know man has responsibility to lead his wife, but with that authority, he's called to serve her. Not, you know, put her under his, you know, hand, heavy-handed fist. And so just trying to see these, these are radical thoughts. Um, for us, learning from Job about purity, about equality. And then in verse 16, if I have kept the poor from their desire, caused the eyes of the widow to fall, or eaten my morsel by myself so that the fatherless could not eat of it, but from my youth I reared him as a father, and from my mother's womb I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or any poor man without covering, if his heart has not blessed me, if he was not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless when I saw I had help in the gate, then let my arm fall from my shoulder. Think about that. Let my arm be torn from the socket. Okay, what is he saying is that you're, you're, you haven't really been benevolent. You have, you have neglected to help the poor. Then come over here. Let me rip your arm out of your body. That's what Job is saying right here. For destruction from God is a terror to me. And because of his magnificence, magnificence I cannot endure and there are those men who are lusters, and there are those men who are bigots, and there are those men who mistreat the poor. They're so calloused and hard-hearted, they care nothing for the helpless, the fatherless, the husbandless, the widow. You know, in verse 16, the NLT says, have I refused to help the poor or crush the hopes of widows? And the, the, the derogatory statement or the the, the statement is, is no, absolutely not. From a young age, he would help. Look at verse 18. This is good for you parents to teach your children at a young age because that's the only way that Job would know to do this. But from my youth, I reared him as a father and from my mother's womb. I mean, that's talking about a little kid. You know, he reached out to the widow. You know, when you look at really what's going on here, it's not simply the absence of the negative, it's the positive, it's proactive, it's not just neutral, you know, it's uh, helpful. And you guys know that there are sins of commission, things we do, there's also the sin of omission, things we should do but we don't. Job says, even when I was a youngster, I was benevolent towards the orphan and I had a heart from the widow. You know, Job 31.20 if his heart has not blessed me, it, it basically means, did they not praise me for providing wool clothing to keep them warm? You know, the Bible says, if you have food and clothing, with this you should be content. So a lot of people out there, they do have food and they do have clothing. And they might get mad at you that you don't give them a house. But really, the Bible says food and clothing. If you see someone hungry, I mean, I'm talking about really hungry. And if you want to see someone really hungry, you know, you might want to go to Cambodia or something. You know, Nepal, really hungry. Haven't eaten in a long time. I'm dying from hunger. You know, or really, there's no clothes. We've gone to places, they didn't have any shoes. So you see someone like that and, you know, and you just say, hey, you know, how you doing? God bless you. And God says, you're in big trouble. James 2, 14 through 17 says, don't just pray for them. You know, you want to help them. You know, Job 31, 21 right there, it speaks of legal matters. If I raised my hand against an orphan, knowing that judges would, would take my side. You know, these are things that, I don't know, man. Seriously, if I could just stop for a moment. I know you're thinking about, you know, the pizza you're going to have afterwards or in and out but hold on, come on, just come back for a second, okay? Do you ever help the poor people in any way? Do you ever give them clothes? Do you ever give them food? That's what he's saying right here. You know, we get so busy. You know, these are the issues that Job is dealing with. He's saying, if I'm not, if I'm not, if I haven't done that, then I deserve judgment. Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. Some people say, well, I haven't had the opportunity. You mean to tell me you haven't passed by somebody on the freeway? You know, when's the last time you gave them a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Maybe... You will now. You know, that's what he's saying. Lord, I've always been this way. 
Look at verse 24. If I have made gold my hope or said to find gold, you are my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much. You know, here we see men that trust in riches rather than God. And Job said, I've never been that way. He was wealthy, but he never made it his confidence. And you know what? God sees your heart. Some of you ladies right here, so sorry, but I picked on the guys. I'm going to pick on you ladies for a second. You find your security in your bank account. And God says, no, it shouldn't be that way. Your security should be in the Lord. But of course, that goes for all of us. You know, God sees our heart. Verse 25 is interesting. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great. You know, I mean, I was thinking about that. You know, that word praise, right? That word praise. A lot of people will say, you know, it's rooted in the word raise. You know that, right? And if my husband gets a raise, I'm going to praise the Lord, right? Some people are like that. Yeah, praise God. You got a raise. You got a promotion. They're so happy. And sometimes, you know, I'm not saying it's, you know, where you can never, you know, thank God and but it's like, man, we in America, forgive me for saying this, we are filthy rich. And we complain. You know, how many of us here believe that if only we made a little more money, we'd be a lot more secure? Some of you, boom, guilty. A little more cash, a lot more confident. huh? It's always a little more. It's always making a little more. Let me ask you a question. Why can't you spend a little less? Why is it always like that? Because money has become our confidence. It's become our God. And if that's the case, it reveals the fact that gold is your God. For most of us, it's not an issue of making more. It's an issue of spending less. And rather than gold being our God, we need to get back to letting God be the God of our gold. Because he's testing you to see whether or not you will be willing to scale back and live within the means he's provided for you. Job said, I was never like that. Even when I was rich, I never let it be the source of my joy or security. You know, verse 26, if I have observed the sun when it shines or the moon moving in brightness so that my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand, this also would be iniquity deserving of judgment, for I would have denied God who is above. You know, and some men, they worship other gods. They worship the creature rather than the creator, uh, mother nature rather than father God, right? You know, there in verse 27, so that my heart has been secretly enticed and my, hand has ki- my, my mouth has kissed my hand, He's talking about throwing kisses uh, to the stars or whatever in worship, right? And then, you know, I know for us nowadays, we probably don't worship the sun, right? Anybody here worship the sun or the moon? Even though you were tripping out on the eclipse, I'm sure everybody's glued to the TV. I kind of don't understand why completely, but it's okay. It's a phenomenon that's that's rather rare. But, you know, uh, back then they did a lot. Uh, Moses would later warn about this in Deuteronomy 4, verse 19. Uh, some did it secretly. They did worship the sun, according to Ezekiel 8, 16. Um, some do it subtly, um, maybe even ignori- ignorantly, through astrology. And it's kind of weird because sometimes it's even in the church. Hey, what sign are you? Oh, I'm Sagittarius. Oh, really? Oh, it's a bad day for you, bro. If I were you, I would stay home, man. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they actually, they actually believed that, that by looking at the alignment of the stars based on the exact day and time that you were born, that you can actually plan your life according to these things. They actually seek guidance through astrology. And to me, I'm like, man, that's, that's the worship of the stars. Guidance through astrology? That's demonology. Why not worship God and have guidance through theology? Just him. Okay, so you guys, you know, I know you might be a, what are the, the Geminis? They're the real stubborn ones. No, not the stubborn, the Leos, Leos. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I just offended half of you here. 
<laughs> I'm telling you, though, I honestly believe that astrology is opening doors to demons. Okay, you need to get your guidance from God, not the alignment of the stars, okay? Verse 29, if I have rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me or lifted myself up when evil found him, indeed, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking a curse on his soul. You know, and, and what he's basically saying here is that I, I, didn't, I didn't hate my enemies. I didn't. You know, and, and when I think of like enemies, Lord, do I have any enemies? I don't know if I do or not, but if I do, Lord bless them. You know, maybe that person over there wants me to fail. You know, maybe that person over there, they talk smack about me or they despise me. I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't really care. But just in case I have any enemies, Lord, bless them. Bless their life. I mean, that's where Job was. But a lot of guys aren't like that, man. They are like, man, you fight fire with fire, huh? And we got to be careful. What did Jesus say in Matthew 5, 44? I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. In verse 31, if the men of my tent have not said, who is there that has not been satisfied with his meat? But no sojourner had to lodge in the street, for I have opened my doors to the to the traveler. Now, this is interesting because remember in those days, they didn't really have the hotels like you know we have nowadays. So you would go to a city and you were kind of obligated to bring people into your home. It was hospitality. But Job says, I went the second mile. When they came to my house, I gave them tri-tip. When they, gave to my, they came to my house, I gave them meat. You can ask any of them if, whether or not this you know, happened. I mean, it's just... He was such a blessing, man. He said, my servants have never said he let others go hungry. Verse 33, if I have covered my transgressions as Adam by hiding my iniquity in my bosom because I feared the great multitude and dreaded the contempt of family so that I kept silence and did not go out of the door. I mean, if you were writing things down, and I know most of you aren't, but maybe there's a couple of you that are, these are just the qualities of Job. Purity, equality, charity, loyalty to God. Not an enemy, friendly, hospitality, integrity. And there's going to be one last one. It's ecology. Man, it's amazing how everything he did, I mean, just a well-rounded, godly man, and such a great example for us. In Genesis, I mean, sorry, in verse 31, um, 33, uh, he talks about the transparency, you know, where he's open, man. He's not hiding, living in secret sin. I mean, he's just open. In verse 35, and he kind of sums it all up now. As I said earlier, oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my mark. And again, that's a signature. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me that my prosecutor had written a book Surely I would carry it on my shoulder and bind it on me like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps like a prince. I would approach him. I mean, basically, what he's saying right here is Job says, man, I want to write this. I'm going to put this out in the public square. I want my day in court. Let the accuser bring his book to the judge's bench. And Job basically says, I have nothing to hide. And you know what? When you look at Job, here's the thing. I mean, how did it happen? You know, it was obviously a work of God's grace in his life. He was a man who hungered and thirsted for righteousness. And so as we gather together tonight, you know, there's one last thing. We're going to look at that in just a second. But, but here's what I pray that, that we would come away with. Number one is what's called uh, uh, practical righteousness, practical righteousness, that as we're living our life, as we're hungry for the Lord, we're asking for the grace for him to change us. How many of you here might need that? You need to be changed. You need to be touched. You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You know, you want to be a godly man? You want to be a godly woman? You want to be that Christian that... Um, man, that you should be, that you can be serving the Lord, putting a smile 
on his face. You know, some people, man, it's just crazy. They're Christians and they serve in ministry. But there's like, it's just really off. And God is saying tonight, you know, we have this example of Job, a real godly man. I can do that work in you too. Let me do that work in you. Don't cover up your sin. The Bible says if you cover it up, you won't prosper. Confess it to God and ask him to change you. There is that, that positional, that practical righteousness that I pray the grace of God would work. But at the end of the day, there's a, the positional righteousness that, that tonight, as we have communion, we celebrate. And isn't it so cool that as you place your faith in Jesus Christ, that when God looks at you, he sees no sin. Isn't that amazing? Even though I look at you and I see a whole bunch of sin. <laughs> and just think, man, you're so bad that if I knew everything about you, I wouldn't want to preach to you. And if you knew everything about me, you wouldn't want to hear me preach, right? All of us here. But when God looks at us and he knows everything about us, he still loves us. That's the power of the blood of Jesus. You know, right here, Job is just laying all this out in verse 38. Some of you guys are going to think he's weird now. You're going to be like, I used to like Job until that verse. <laughs> Look at verse 38. If my land cries out against me and its furrows weep together. And basically what he's saying there is he's even a good steward of the land, the earth, okay? If I have eaten its fruit without money or caused its owners to lose their lives, then let thistles grow instead of weeds, and weeds instead of barley. You know, I haven't stolen anyone's land. I haven't even mistreated the land. That's how awesome this guy was. And you know what? God sets him there, uh, and, and, you know, we have other examples for us so that, so that we can, man, we can say, Lord, make me like, make me like you. Make, make me like Job, make me like Daniel, make me like Paul, you know, do that work in my life. And so tonight as we have communion, you know, um, you can just come and you can be upset. I can't believe, man, he said this and that about, you know, me and my money or whatever it is, you know. And, you know, I like to look at girls or whatever. You know, you can if you want to, you know, watch rated R movies. I can't believe people would actually watch a movie with nudity. It's just cra crazy. But, you know, that's between you and the Lord. But if you want to, we can all, myself included, we can just say, Lord, as we have communion right now, do a work in me. If there's anything that applies to me, if there's any spot that, that needs to come out, Lord, show me right now. Help me. But Lord, thank you. Thank you that you love me just the way that I am, but that you love me to change me and make me.